This was a vision. I'm telling you, these people are Satanists. As I sit here, they are Satanists. Look, the world is full of these kind of things. Black masses, mutilations, mutilations. The incubus, the succubus. I'm telling you, we got to go down to the religious supply store. We got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My cousin Jerry's a priest. He can get us a deal. Do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. Trigger warning. This podcast may include explicit content that will take you out of your comfort zone and make you question reality. Listener's discretion is advised. everybody in this episode we are going to be diving into research i've done on the one and only john denver i first discovered the connection between john denver and roswell while covering the information in the occult laurel canyon episodes i then made another connection to john denver while exploring the truth behind the nephilim How many times can someone pop up before it's not a coincidence anymore? Well, today I will be covering John Denver's past and music career to reveal yet another conspiracy. You don't have to take my word for it. Do your own research and come up with your own conclusions. I do find it odd, though, that even in some of his albums, they are titled Farewell, Andromeda, Poems, Prayers, and Promises, Spirit, we have Higher Ground, One World, and he also made an appearance with the Muppets, and one of his songs was titled Whose Garden Was This? So, just connecting some dots there. And before we roll into the episode, I do have to say that if you think anything in this episode is outlandish or you just can't get on board with it, that is fine. But this is a conspiracy theory podcast. We're just here to have fun, connect with like-minded people, and just discuss conspiracies. So again, you don't have to take my word for it but I would recommend doing your own research and coming up with your own conclusions. That being said, quick reminder, I will be giving away an official Cosmic Peach hoodie this month, and to enter, you must subscribe to the YouTube channel and leave a comment, leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, if applicable, and follow the Cosmic Peach Instagram and leave a comment if you would, please. The winner will be announced on March 1st, 2023. And of course, if you win, you're going to have to give me your address, okay? So I can mail it to you. But other than that, this is an absolutely fantastic episode. In my opinion, I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's roll right into it.
All right, everyone. It's the John Denver episode that nobody asked for, but definitely needs to be covered. And what I'm hoping to do is bring more clarity on some information that I had provided in the Occult Laurel Canyon episodes. I had mentioned John Denver, his father, who they were, what they were involved in. And I also mentioned John Denver in the Nephilim episodes. So to make that information make more sense, I'm doing a deep dive on John Denver and I don't want to hear it if I break your heart with this episode because if anyone was a diehard fan of John Denver, it is me, the person talking to you in this microphone. I loved John Denver. I love John Denver. But the problem is when you never look into what these people are involved in, it creates a problem because we need to know why these people were chosen in the roles that they were because he did a lot of humanitarian things. Yes, I found a lot of those, but there's always something a little more sinister lying in the background that needs to be addressed. Now, to start this episode out, John Denver was born Henry John Duchendorf Jr. on December 31st, 1943, and he passed away October 12th, 1997. So, John Denver was born in Roswell, New Mexico. His dad was Captain Henry John Dutch, quote unquote, Duchendorf Sr. And this Captain Henry John Duchendorf was a United States Army Air Force pilot stationed at Roswell Army Airfield, later renamed the Walker Air Force Base, which was likely the origin of the object that famously crashed in Roswell, Fallen Angel Technology. The Roswell Army Airfield, later renamed the Walker Air Force Base, was definitely tapped in to Fallen Angel technology and channeling these spirits and entities. But let's proceed. John Denver's mom's name is Irma Louise. And, of course, known professionally as John Denver, but his family was German and in the military. And John Denver was an American singer, songwriter, guitarist, actor, activist, and humanitarian whose greatest commercial success was as a solo singer. And, you know, hats off to John Denver because he was going at it solo. I you know, maybe I'm a little biased, but I think solo shit works best sometimes. (laughs) But no. So basically after traveling and living in numerous locations while he was growing up, Denver began his music career with folk music during the late 1960s. And of course, Laurel Canyon, here we are, the 1960s. 
And starting in the 1970s, he was one of the most popular acoustic artists of the decade and one of its best-selling artists. And by 1974, he was one of America's best-selling performers and has been called, quote, one of the most beloved entertainers of his era, end quote. Which is true. I mean, who doesn't love John Denver? For real. And his music is all over the place. It's in a lot of movies. They are still, of course, tapping into the John Denver energy. I'll talk about the movie Alien Covenant here in just a moment. But let's slow down for a second and take a look at the background. So, in... John Denver's 1994 autobiography called Take Me Home, he described his life as the eldest son of a family shaped by a stern father who could not show love for his children. A lot of these military dads and families were described in the exact same way when we were talking about them in the Occult Laurel Canyon episode. And I also think that's part of the MK Ultra, but here we are. While his family was stationed at the Davis Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona, Denver was a member of the Tucson, Arizona Boys Chorus for two years. But his father was then transferred to Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama. The family later moved to Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth, Texas, where Denver graduated from Arlington Heights High School. And basically, John Denver said that Fort Worth was a distressing experience, and in his third year of high school, he drove his father's car to California to visit family friends and began his music career. But John Denver's dad was so freaking pissed off, his father flew to California in a friend's private jet to retrieve him. Mm -hmm. But that didn't stop him because Denver recorded and released 300 songs. Now, let's just, I'm just going to throw the numbers out there and you tell me what you think of this. He recorded and released. 300 songs. He had 33 albums and singles that were certified gold and platinum in the U.S. by the RIAA. And his estimated sales were 33 million units. So we have 300 songs, 33 albums and singles. And an estimated sales of 33 million units. I mean, come on. That is ridiculous. Three, 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 three. But those aren't the only odd numbers that surround Denver. Because Denver was killed in a single fatality crash while piloting a recently purchased light plane in 1997, and he was 53 when he died. You know how I always bring up the eight. Five plus three is eight. So 
John Denver died on an eight to me, eight age. And then we have all the 33s and threes mixed in with his music. But do you think it's a coincidence that the first song he wrote that launched his career was Leaving on a Jet Plane? Come on. So Denver recorded two more albums in 1970, Take Me to Tomorrow and Whose Garden Was This, but it was Leaving on a Jet Plane, the first song he wrote that launched his career and made him the person we know today as John Denver. And then he died in a jet plane on an eight age. And then we have all these 33s and 300s surrounding his music. But it gets even more sinister. Buckle up, you guys. Here we go. Denver's next album, Poems, Prayers, and Promises in 1971, was a breakthrough for him in the United States. Thanks in part to the single, Take Me Home, Country Roads, which went to number two on the Billboard charts despite the first pressings of the track being distorted. So the first time he recorded the song, there was a bunch of weird distortions on the track. But it was re-recorded and then later went on to be the iconic Take Me Home, Country Roads. Knowing what we know about Take Me Home Country Roads and how it was used in the movie Alien Covenant, I find it so fucking suspicious that the first time he recorded it, there were distortions on the track. <laughs> uh, okay, but let's proceed. In 1972, he scored his first top 10 album with Rocky Mountain High. One of my all-time favorite songs. Love it, love it, love it. But we are actually going to break down some lyrics closer to the end of this episode. Who was his manager? His manager was a guy named Jerry Wintraub. Or Wintraub? Maybe it's Wintraub. But this is the same dude who also managed Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, The Four Seasons, Neil Diamond, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, Three Dog Night, and The Carpenters. So then I had to do some digging on who this Wintraub is. And I found this crazy ass story. And it says, Wintraub actually threw Denver out of his office and accused him of being a Nazi. And Denver later told Arthur Tobier, whoever that is, quote, I'd bend my principles to support something he wanted of me. And of course, every time you bend your principles, whether because you don't want to worry about it or because you're afraid to stand up for fear of what you might lose, you sell your soul to the devil, end quote. So not only do we have a Nazi reference here, and Denver was German, he's talking about selling his soul to the devil. And just so happens that this same manager was the person who managed Bob Dylan, who also talked about selling his soul to the devil. And of course, we have 
Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley being, maybe it's for an, another episode, but uh, in relationships with 13-year-olds, but very odd connection there. But it's not the only weird shit that's surrounding John Denver throughout his career because President Jimmy Carter appointed John Denver to serve on the President's Commission on World Hunger. Who the fuck is John Denver, folk music artist, to be appointed to serve on the President's Commission on World Hunger? Well, that's odd because if we take into consideration who John Denver's dad was and his involvement in Roswell, Fallen Angel Technology and Roswell Crash and Laurel Canyon scene with John Denver, it wouldn't surprise me that he was appointed to serve on the President's Commission on World Hunger. And it was actually John Denver who wrote the song, I Want to Live, as the Commission's theme song. But hang on a second, it goes even deeper. In 1980, Denver and his father, who was by then a lieutenant colonel, co-hosted an award-winning television special called The Higher We Fly, The History of Flight, and it won the Osborne Award from the Aviation Slash Space Writers Association and was honored by the Houston Film Festival. His dad, you guys, the programming of us to believe in space started, you know, obviously hundreds of years ago, but it's never stopped because a lot of people ask me, well, why did they, why did they choose the people that they do to live on in infamy? One of them being John Denver. Well, it's because of their involvement. Their His dad was already involved in secret programs, working on Roswell Base. And, you know, they go on to make this television special together, The Higher We Fly, The History of Flight, and it won all these awards from the Aviation and Space Association and was honored at the Houston Film Festival, but it doesn't fucking stop there because Denver was, of course, a stouch Democrat and he praised President Bill Clinton. And Denver was also on the National Space Society's Board of Governors for many years. Y'all thought I was stretching when I tied him into Alien Covenant. The, the role that that song played in Alien Covenant stuck out to me as being very significant. And then we have John Denver and his father involved in all this National Space Society, um, Aviation and Space Association, the President's Commission on World Hunger, working at Roswell Airfield. We're talking about structure to this. And what is the National Space Society? The National Space Society, or NSS, is an American international nonprofit 501c3 
educational and scientific organizations specializing in space advocacy. So that's black magic right there. I'm not fucking around with you guys anymore and dancing around what we already know. Take it or leave it. Hate me or love me. I'm just telling you the cold hard facts. That's black magic stuff. Because here we go. The society supports human spaceflight and robotic spaceflight by both the public, example NASA, Russian Federal Space Agency, and Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, and the private sector. So that would be SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, etc., other organizations, and the society was established in the United States on March 28, 1987, by the merger of the National Space Institute, founded in 1974 by Dr. Warner von Braun, and the L5 Society, founded in 1975, based on the concepts of Dr. Gerald O'Neill. Let me repeat that back for you because that's a lot to take in. The NSS was established by merging Warner Von Braun's National Space Institute and the L5 Society founded by Gerard O'Neill. So, I've already told you about Stanley Kubrick and Warner Von Braun's connection about the fake space and the fake moon landing and the programming to get us to be obsessed with space it's a god killer space is a god killer this is black magic they were the babylon bunch this is the babylon bunch right here what i'm talking about this nss human space flight robotic space flight nasa russian federal space agency japan aerospace exploration agency the private sector spacex blue origin virgin galactic this all came from merging together these concepts by Gerard O'Neill and Warner Von Braun. Y'all need to look into this, okay? And Denver was on the NSS Board of Governors for many years. This is ridiculous, you guys. And in 2009, Elon Musk received the NSS Von Braun Award. Why do you think they're constantly propagating this space shit? Denver was attracted to NASA and became dedicated to America's work in outer space. He conscientiously worked to help bring into being the, quote, Citizens in Space program. And in 1985, Denver received the NASA Exceptional Public Service Medal for, quote, helping to increase awareness of space exploration by the peoples of the world, end quote. Now, get this shit. This is an award usually restricted to spaceflight engineers and designers only. So how do we have a folk singer hanging out with the fucking hippies from the Laurel Canyon becoming the recipient of the NASA 
Exceptional Public Service Medal for helping to increase awareness of space exploration by the peoples of the world. Usually restricted only to spaceflight engineers and designers. Are you serious? Do you see now why I say it's all connected? Also, in 1985, he passed NASA's rigorous physical exam and was in line for a space flight. John motherfucking Denver was a finalist for the first citizen's trip on the space shuttle in 1986. But after the space shuttle Challenger disaster with the teacher Krista McAuliffe on board, Denver dedicated his song, Flying For Me, to all the astronauts and continued to support NASA. He entered discussions with the Soviet space program about purchasing a flight on board one of their rockets. But the talks fell through after the price tag was rumored to be as high as 20 million. So, you guys, John Denver did all of the rigorous physical exams and was in line for a space flight, but then the space shuttle Challenger disaster happened, supposedly. And he then entered discussions with the Soviet space program about purchasing a flight aboard one of their rockets. And talks fell through after the price tag was rumored to be as high as 20 fucking million. Do you know why? They couldn't take yo ass up to space because space doesn't exist, you son of a bitch. I mean, people, the reason they blew up this challenger and the reason why only certain people are allowed to go up into space quote unquote is because they're of the understanding that the shit doesn't exist and then they give them some type of programming on what to say after they get back elon musk and all this shit it that's why he's getting awards and this is all programming this is all programming the ticket was as high as 20 million. And, you know, I don't think that John Denver's dad was allowed to tell him what was really going on. But he was used as a pawn to propagate this fake space shit. But let's continue a little bit into more of who John Denver was. In 1994, he published his autobiography, Take Me Home, and he candidly spoke of his cannabis, LSD, and cocaine use, marital infidelities, and his history of domestic violence. And then in 1996, he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and he lived in Aspen continuously until his death. But Denver adopted two children with his first wife, Annie Martell, but that didn't work out because Denver said that career demands drove them apart, and Martell said that they were too young and immature to deal with Denver's sudden success. And following the property settlement, Denver nearly 
choked Annie Martell to death and then cut their bed in half with a chainsaw. So we see he has triggers. He can snap. He's not just the folk singer. He's also a fake space pioneer and a crazy choking people and chainsawing beds in half kind of a son of a bitch. Now, in 1993, Denver pleaded guilty to a drunken driving charge and was placed on probation. In August 1994, while still on probation, he was again charged with misdemeanor driving under the influence after crashing his Porsche into a tree in Aspen. Though a July 1997 trial resulted in a hung jury on the second DUI charge, prosecutors later decided to reopen the case, but it ended up being closed due to Denver's accidental death in October 1997. So he had already been charged with a DUI and then he got another drunken driving charge. And it was a hung jury, but they were going to actually reopen the case. But, whoop, he died in a plane crash, so never mind about that. Uh, And speaking of the plane crash, here are the details. Denver died on the afternoon of October 12th, 1997, when his light home-built aircraft, a Rutan Long Easy with registration number N555JD crashed into Monterey Bay near Pacific Grove, California, while making a series of touch-and-go landings at the nearby Monterey Peninsula Airport. I do find some numbers sticking out right off the top. I don't know what a Rutan Long Easy home-built aircraft is. I think it's just one of those fucking kits you can buy where you put your own shit together and... I do find it significant that it's October 12th, one and two is three. And then we had those threes turning up with a lot of his music, but it also means something else. The 555JD, I don't know if you want to look into that. I just wanted to toss that out in case someone wants to do a little bit more thorough investigation on that. And the fact that it was nearby the Monterey Peninsula Airport is significant because it was very nearby where the Monterey Pop Festival had been held 30 years earlier. So that's why I point out the three again, because he had just attended the Monterey Pop Festival 30 years earlier, and then he dies very near that site on October 12th. One plus two is three. But... The date of the crash, curiously enough, October 12th, is Alistair Crowley's birthday. Mm-hmm. And he was the plane's only occupant. The official cause of death was multiple blunt force trauma resulting from the crash. But here's what I don't understand. John Denver was a pilot with over 2,700 hours of experience. He had pilot ratings for a single-engine land and sea, multi-engine land, glider, 
and instrument. He also held a type rating in his Learjet. He had recently purchased this long, easy aircraft made by someone else from a kit and had taken a half-hour checkout flight with the aircraft the day before his accident. So not only is he certified to be using all these different types of single-engine, land-and-sea, multi-engine, glider, and Learjet, he's he knows how to use them all. He has 2,700 hours of experience and Even though somebody else put this kit together, he went for a half hour flight in this fucker before he went out and had his accident. So it wasn't like if there was something malfunctioned on the shitter that he wouldn't have realized that before he took off in it the next day. It all just seems fucked up to me. But, you know, Denver was not legally permitted to fly at the time of the crash. In previous years, he had several arrests, like I said, for his drunk driving. And in 1996, nearly a year before the accident, the FAA learned that Denver had failed to maintain sobriety by not refraining entirely from alcohol and revoked his medical certification. But here's the thing, even though we have the DUIs and his drunk driving and all of that, and they revoked his whatever, the thing is, the accident was not influenced by alcohol use. An autopsy found no sign of alcohol or other drugs in Denver's body. He was completely sober, had already took the shitter out for a test run, had 2,700 hours experience flying. His dad was a pilot. And I do think that there is something more sinister going on here. Now, upon the announcement of John Denver's death, Colorado Governor Roy Romer ordered all state flags to be lowered to half staff in his honor. Funeral services were held at Faith Presbyterian Church in Aurora, Colorado on October 17, 1997. It was officiated by Pastor Les Felker, a retired Air Force chaplain, after which Denver's remains were cremated and his ashes scattered in the Rocky Mountains. Very poetic, but... Think about this, you guys. Lowering the flags to half-staff, okay? Officiated by a retired Air Force chaplain. And there are just a lot of fucking weird occurrences going on with this. And while I was Googling information for this episode, something odd I found is that there is this new band as in musical band, called the John Denver Airport Conspiracy. The name of the band is the John Denver Airport Conspiracy, and their lyrics are really fucking weird. I don't recommend, and I'm sure you know of all the conspiracies surrounding the Denver Airport. But 
it's almost like hypnotic or hallucinogenic and I find that significant as well that this band is the John Denver Airport Conspiracy Band and John Denver himself was so involved with flight and space and his dad and Roswell and then we have his songs popping up in some fucking weird movies but speaking of lyrics here we go Let's break down some songs. Take Me Home, Country Roads, is featured in Alien Covenant, also in Kingsman, The Golden Circle. And here are some of the lyrics. So what we're going to do, I'm going to play some parts of the songs, and then we're going to talk about some lyrics. Let's wind her up. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze, country roads, take me home. Okay, so Almost Heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old there, older than the trees. Let's just get down to it, okay? He's talking about fallen angels here. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. Just be open-minded and listen to what I have to say. I've already lined this up for you about his involvement with fallen angels from his father. Now, Take Me Home Country Roads. We have Almost Heaven. Now, why is that significant? Because he talks about it in a lot of other songs as well. Heaven and Shenandoah means daughter of the stars. And areas along the north and south forks of the Shenandoah River near Front Royal have yielded the first evidence of inhabited structures in North America. And whoops, just so happens to be near some of these ancient mounds in West Virginia. Life is old there, older than the trees. You guys, read between the lines. Shenandoah means daughter of the stars. So we're talking about fallen angels right now. Almost heaven. Then he's referencing life is old there, older than the trees. And This river is near some of these mound builder sites. And this is the area that has yielded the first evidence of inhabited structures in North America. Life is old there, older than the trees. Then let's move on to our next song, Leaving on a Jet Plane. What movies is this featured in? Well, it's featured in Armageddon and Final Destination. Let's just be honest, it's incredibly cryptic considering how he died, among other synchronicities. 
But let's just hear a little bit from leaving on a jet plane, knowing what we know about how he met his end. Let's see what this song says that put him on the map. All my bags are packed, I'm ready to go I'm standing here outside your door I hate to wake you up to say goodbye But the dawn is breaking, it's early morn The taxi's waiting, he's blown his horn Already I'm so lonesome I could die So kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you'll never let me go Cause I'm leaving on a jet plane Don't know when I'll be back again Oh babe, I hate to go Okay, yeah, I think it's creepy knowing how he met his end that this is his first song that put him on the map and this is how he ended his life. But moving on to the next song, Rocky Mountain High, which in my opinion is the creme de la creme, and also in my opinion is one of the most occult songs I've ever heard, close to Don McLean and American Pie. We have to read between the lines here, okay? I'm sure he was hit to what was going on with some of this shit. So let's hear it bit by bit because there is a lot we need to uncover here. Let's start her up. He was born in the summer of his 27th year Coming home to a place he'd never been before He left yesterday behind him You might say he was born again You might say he found the key for every door When he first came to the mountains His life was far away on the road hanging by a song But the string's already broken And he doesn't really care It keeps changing fast And it don't last for long With the Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire Okay, here's what we got. He was born in the summer of his 27th year. 
being reborn at age 27. Now, I've already talked to you guys about the 27 Club, but they do like that number, and they always put a lot of focus on that number. He was born in the summer of his 27th year, being reborn Phoenix from the Ashes at age 27. And now, he left yesterday behind him. You might say he was born again. Well, yeah, that's the shit that I just said. You might say he found a key for every door. Now, the Scroll and Key Society is a secret society founded in 1842 at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. It is one of the oldest Yale secret societies, and the society is one of the reputed big three societies at Yale, along with Skull and Bones and Wolf's Head. The scroll and key. You might say he found a key for every door after he was born again at age 27. These are occulted lyrics, and I'm going to tell you an occultist would look at it like this. Let's hear some more lyrics. Rocky Mountain High He climbed Cathedral Mountains He saw silver clouds below He saw everything as far as you can see And they say that he got crazy once And he tried to touch the sun And he lost a friend but kept a memory now he walks in quiet solitude, the forests and the streams, seeking grace in every step he takes. His side has turned inside himself to try and understand the serenity of a clear blue mountain lake. And the Colorado Rocky Mountain. All right, let's just take it from the top, okay? I've seen it rain and fire in the sky. Did anybody else get fire in the sky, Travis Walton, UFOs coming to get ya vibes from that? I've seen it rain and fire in the sky. I personally with all of his connections with NASA in space and his obsession with that shit, in my mind, thought of fire in the sky, Travis Walton, UFOs, extraterrestrial stuff, okay? In my opinion. Then he says he climbed cathedral mountains. He saw silver clouds below. He saw everything as far as you can see. Referencing church again with he already talks about heaven and everything else, cathedral, mountains, and seeing the clouds below. But that leads us into, and they say that he got crazy once and he tried to touch the sun and he lost a friend but kept the memory. Now, in Greek mythology, Icarus was a dirtbag who tried to fly too close to the sun and got fucked up, which is where the myth comes from that gave rise to the idiom 
fly too close to the sun. Again, fallen angel stuff, in my opinion, based on my research. That's a very specific thing to include in there because the next verse right after that is now he walks in quiet solitude in the forest and the stream seeking grace in every step he takes. Seeking grace. We already have him talking about cathedrals, Greek mythology, secret societies, Shenandoah, and life being old there, older than the trees. I mean, this is a common theme in a lot of his songs. So we have him talking about Icarus, who tried to touch the sun, and the fire in the sky, along with being reborn at age 27. I mean, I didn't write it. I'm just decoding it. Because now we have the next line is, His sight has turned inside himself to try and understand the serenity of a clear blue mountain lake. Inner sight, third eye, more of this symbolism. And then it goes right back into, and the Colorado Rocky Mountain High, I've seen it rain and fire in the sky. Then, talk to God and listen to the casual reply. To me, it. It reeks of of fallen angel type of references, but the next verse after that, let's go on and listen to this. Now his life is full of wonder, but his heart still knows some fear of a simple thing cannot comprehend. Why they try to tear the mountains down to bring in a couple more. More people, more scars upon the land. In the Colorado Rocky Mountain High, I've seen it raining fire in the sky. No, he'd be poor and mad if he never saw an eagle fly. Rocky Mountain High. Now, let's talk about this. Now his life is full of wonder, but his heart still knows some fear of a simple thing he cannot comprehend. Um, it could have been just a analogy, but it could be literal. A lot of things that these people say are literal and they're taken as metaphors. But his life is full of wonder, but his heart still knows some fear. Of a simple thing he cannot comprehend, which would be fake space, fallen angels, corruption of humanity. Uh, it's, it's a simple thing that no one can comprehend because nobody talks about it. But the reason I say that is because the next line says, while they try to tear the mountains down to bring in a couple more, 
more people, more scars upon the land. And, you know, we go right back into, I've seen it raining fire in the sky. This is so, I just never paid attention to how cryptic these lyrics are before. Because, you know, right after that, it says, I know he'd be a poorer man if he never saw an eagle fly. Because he referenced Icarus from Greek mythology, I want to say that he's probably referencing back to the Greeks and the eagle was an emblem of Zeus, fallen angel, god king, or even Horus. Think about it, you guys. He already was referencing Greek mythology earlier in the song, and the eagle was the emblem of Zeus. Talking to God and listening to the casual reply. Now, here's how we're going to sum it up. I believe, due to his father's connections, he probably knew about these sacred sites, and also with his connection with NASA, Roswell, and the Laurel Canyon scene, it just makes sense. Also referencing the fire in the sky. Now, could he have been wanting to purchase a ticket to get on a rocket so he could see the firmament? Or maybe he didn't understand that space was fake. You could take that in either way. Now that I'm diving more into a lot of his lyrics, I think he fucking knew what was up. And his involvement in the Laurel Canyon scene, they were all doing these rituals and a part of these secret societies. So, in the military. So, could it have been that he wanted to see the firmament for himself? He was already talking about going to these sacred sites and talking to God and seeing fire come down from the sky and he's referencing Greek gods and Greek mythology in a lot of his songs. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that he knew how to tap in at these sacred sites, Shenandoah River. And the fact that his first song ended up being his death, dying on Aleister Crowley's birthday, and all of this other stuff. He was known to have a split personality where he was our uh, woodland folk singing down-to-earth guy, but he also was on LSD using cocaine, almost choked his wife to death, and chainsawed their bed in half. I mean, there's just a lot here. There's a lot here. But what I'm going to ask you to do is do the research on your own with the song Take Me Home Country Roads being in Alien Covenant and his dad working at Roswell at the time of the crash. You know, I'm not playing patty cake with you guys. This is fucked up, okay? This son of a bitch was telling us something. And am I going to delete every song I have on my phone of John Denver and just throw... No, I'm still going to listen to John Denver songs because I can separate art from the artist. And do research at the same time. I like these songs. The intent that I have when I listen to the song is just simply admiring his voice. Okay? He has a beautiful voice. And if it wouldn't have been for my love of John Denver, I would have never been able to present this episode to you. You see how that works? You have to 
watch the shows on Netflix and watch the movies knowing that your intent behind them is to expose the darkness. If you're participating in what these songs and artists and movies and Netflix shows are trying to get you to do, that's something different. That's being programmed. That's totally different. Don't be programmed. Reveal the programming. And that's my message for today. I know you didn't ask for it, but it was just too much not to share. You know, of course, leave a five-star review if you uh, enjoyed this episode. I may actually go ahead and post this one on the YouTube with some visuals in a podcumentary type of style. But let me know what you think of this episode. And I'm so proud that some of the smartest people on the planet, the flat planet, listen to my podcast and I get to engage with you all and I just want to be a part of your journey seeking truth. If you have any questions, hit me up on the old Instagram. But of course, thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you on the next one.